Levi, thanks for joining The Antidote. Yeah, thanks for having me. You come from the land of enchantment. It sounds like it's some fantasy story, so you got to explain what that's all about. Yeah, it does sound like a fantasy story. Um, It's funny, we just talked about it yesterday. We we always joke about it and call it the land of entrapment uh, because (laughs) everybody always gets stuck here or comes back here or moves away and uh, you know, it's like a gravitational pull on some weird thing about New Mexico that pulls people back. Um, I honestly, I should know more about where the land of enchantment comes from. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty here. It's pretty in a different kind of a way. You're in uh, Ontario, yeah? That's right. Is that where we're at? Okay. Yeah, it was funny. My sister-in-law was out on the on the East Coast. Uh, just last week, and everybody was apologizing to her for how ugly it was. And she was like, ugly? We don't even have anything green in New Mexico. This isn't ugly. So uh, it's a different kind of pretty, but I guess it's enchanting. Uh, The mountains outside of Albuquerque are gorgeous and pink whenever the sun sets. And and we have Breaking Bad, which people said was a pretty enchanting show. So there's that anyway. I'm not sure if I would refer to Breaking Bad as enchanting. Well, I mean, every, but not enchanting. Okay, okay. Yeah, I feel that. It's not a fairy tale, that's for sure. But everybody was glued to it, so if that's some sort of enchantment, I guess. Absolutely. You know, when I first heard you, Levi the Poet, I got to admit that I just didn't get what you were doing. Have you heard that before? People not understanding why you perform spoken word? I have, yeah. Um, I, I sometimes agree with them. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm in the middle of, of booking this tour right now that I'm getting ready to do on the East Coast. And it's funny, uh, as of right now anyway, I just we do a lot of our booking stuff um, on our own. And um, whenever you have to come to somebody and they say, what do you do? And you say, poetry. Um, th- those are the times that I most wonder, why in the world am I doing poetry? <laughs> Who wants to book that? Um, but... Yeah, I have been asked that a decent amount of times. I, you know, I guess kind of the silly answer is because I never knew how to play music, but um, really <laughs> liked to yell, and so that's kind of what the poetry was in the beginning. But you know, the the true answer is um, fascinated by words. I've been writing for a really long time. Um, have respected and admired other poets and spoken word artists that I've been influenced by and gotten to see over the years, and. Um, thought I would I would try my hand at it, I guess, uh, when I got out of high school. Kind of been doing it since then. But this comes out of the past, too, because they had the beatnik era, you know, which is yeah. similar to spoken word. Sure. Yeah, and there's been, there's been some um, comparisons, I guess, uh, at, at least from people that remember the beatnik era, but that's not a whole lot of my gen- – that's not a whole lot of my age group either, you know, so. No, we're, we're going way back here. Yeah, sure. You talk about other artists that have influenced you. I mean, I hate talking about people's influences, but you brought up the topic, so let's carry on with it. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think you know the first guy that comes to mind that I always mention anytime anyone asks me about it is a is a guy named Bradley Hathaway. He was from Arkansas, and I saw him tour with a lot of of heavier bands that I used to really enjoy. I kind of grew up with it. My my now wife introduced me to to hardcore and metal and and the whole kind of underground subculture scene whenever we started dating. And so Bradley was a guy that I saw touring and performing with a bunch of national artists doing that thing. And he'd get up on stage and, you know, 
make the set changes either less or more awkward depending upon how you viewed his style but he's a guy that I saw and um, I, I think outside of outside of poets I just have always been more attracted to artists whose style m- might be a little bit more in that direction as lyricists so even though they might have been in bands people like me without you or even guys like counting crows uh, or, or bright eyes mm-hmm. kind of just I don't know, this prose style that came out of what seemed to me like a a place of relatable brokenness, and I always enjoyed that. With this style, I always have a tough time if I should be considering spoken word as music, performance, or reciting poetry. Sure. Is there a box that you would put it into? Uh, we I joke about it all the time. My roommate, actually, my wife and I, we live in a house and we have a, a roommate that lives with us. And he was laughing the other day, asking me what I tell people when they ask me what I do and how awkward that is or isn't. And we're just laughing. And the other the other day, I got mixed up over my words because sometimes I'll say, "Hey, I'm going to go play a show." Sometimes I'm going to go perform at an event. But somebody asked me the other day and I just said, I play poetry. And they looked at me like, what are you talking about? But I didn't really do a whole lot to offer any explanation <laughs> above and beyond it. So I just kind of landed with it there. And he said that that was perfect. I mean, I, generally I say I'm a performance artist or spoken word artist. And, and that probably makes more sense to people when you say you're going to perform um, but I do a lot of it within a band setting, so they all play. So I guess it just depends upon the context. You've played with some hardcore bands in the past. Haven't you yeah. toured with some? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the first tour I did was with a band named In the Midst of Lions. They were a face-down records band, uh, which is a label out of Southern California. They were the first band that took me on tour, and that was in 2009, and I toured on and off with them for quite a while, as well as other bands that w- were in that same same genre, which was really cool. It was fun. It was unique. It was what I was into at the time. And, and it was, I, honestly, it was just a, a blessing. I don't think any of this probably would have started unless some of those bands had kind of believed in what I was doing and let me come out on the road with them. So Levi the Poet doesn't primarily exist probably within the, that hardcore scene as as much anymore. I think some of my just style as a, as an artist has changed and and different things like that, but still pretty closely connected with a lot of people in that scene and and still love that scene. Do you think that there's a closer connection with your audience that you personally are having compared to say if you were doing just a typical type of music? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I haven't experienced being an artist within you know, quote, unquote, typical type of music. I I do think that there is a connectedness between the topics and content that I write about and what people are able to relate to in that, if that makes sense. So, you know, a lot of, especially the first three albums that I put out were very autobiographical um, kind of a no holds barred transparency modeled in them and talking about struggle and talking about uh, faith and talking about suffering and talking about addiction and talking about uh, you know just things that I've gone through or friends have gone through and, and I, so I do think that there's a, a relatability there that a lot of people have expressed 
um, you know, that being one of the main things that they've enjoyed and been thankful for, like, thank you for, for writing about this stuff. Thank you for putting words to something that I don't feel like I could have ever voiced. And that, that's amazing. I, you know, honestly, especially in the beginning, I, I didn't really set out to do that for anyone. I wanted to be able to voice something for myself that I didn't know if I could voice well enough. Um, but I, I do think that there's something in, in kind of like a bold and maybe even sometimes brash uh, transparency, I guess. I, I think I know that it has inspired other people to do the same in the same way that I was inspired by others to do the same. And I, I, I love that. Yeah. It's something I noticed when I first started listening to your work, you know, a couple of years ago, that you really are inclined to share the bumps and bruises in your faith. Do you find it important to do that? Yeah, I do. You know, even last night I was thinking, um, I was just thinking about why I like and appreciate and respect sort of a rawness in in the artists and in the people that I follow and that I enjoy. And I think one of the main reasons I like it is because people can paint whatever picture of themselves that they want to paint through Facebook updates, through social media. You can put out the best parts of you and then it becomes this constant weird game where everybody else is looking on trying to you know, it becomes a comparison thing. It becomes, I, I just feel like there's a, there's a lot of pressure to live up to some sort of weird thing that I don't really know. I don't really think all of us are as great maybe as we all want the rest of us to think that we are. <laughs> and, and I think, and I've not that, I mean, not that we're not valuable. I believe we're inherently valuable. I just think that like not everybody has it together as much as we would like for everyone else to think that we do. And I think that being, vulnerable and being transparent about even the hard things um, shows others that they're not alone in it in a world that doesn't want to reveal those things. It shows others that, um, you know, that there are other people that are struggling. And it, it brings me back to reality when I hear somebody talking about his or her struggle and I'm able to say, oh, well, man, thank God I'm not the only one in the middle of this. I appreciate that, even if it's difficult. I, I appreciate the way that it perhaps keeps people from maybe getting as as big of a head as they could potentially get about themselves. I guess the flip side of it is you could get a big head about trying to not have a big head and then you just <laughs> need to look in the mirror and just look at your exploding head and just calm down. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> My head's not exploding, it's going the other way. I'm I'm losing hair at a fast and furious rate. Well, okay. Well, Thanks for being honest. You know, there are other listeners that will appreciate it. But do you think that honesty is more prevalent in people like yourself, people that are on stage performing, singing songs, doing spoken word? I don't see that much honesty anywhere else. Yeah, I, I think that the genre lends itself to kind of a brutality that people applaud in poetic form. Um I mean, the flip side or the caution, I guess, is that you could probably, you could probably overdo it too. You know, you could probably flower things up too much. You can try, you can probably try too hard to be somebody that you're not. You know, in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. And so, so I think, um, I, I think that's an interesting thought. I think that people have different ways of pouring out honest thoughts, and sometimes they're much more straightforward. And a lot of times, that's the way that it looks within 
uh, a spoken word or, or, or poetry community. Um, but there's probably something to that. I know with, you know, songs are so often just more music-based and lyrics tend to be secondary, but it really is the opposite with spoken word. You're really trying to tell a story. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I like that. And I guess that's what I was saying in the beginning is that even bands and, and musicians and, and artists that I followed, I just found myself always gravitating towards people that were um, that did that with their lyrics and their music and told the story you know, something that I, I at least have tried to explore a little bit more along with some friends in Albuquerque that are amazing musicians is I've always told a story through words. How can we do that through music? Because I do think that that's possible, but I have also never been a person who's understood it. You know, I, I, my wife, she's the opposite of me. So she's like, I never listen to the words. And I always hear people say that. I mean, I'm sure I told my parents that when I was younger so I could listen to music that I knew I wasn't, you know, wouldn't have otherwise been allowed to listen to. But it was a lie, you know, like when people tell the truth and they say, I don't listen to the lyrics and I have friends that do that and I believe them, I just still don't understand it. (laughs) It always, that's always, you know, it's the lyrics that will make or break something for me unless it's just supposed to be obnoxious and then I can laugh at it or whatever, but if you have great music without great words, it just is, it's kind of ruined for me. And maybe that's pretentious. I, I hope that it's not. I think it's just like my inclination as a writer to focus on and pay attention to that. Um, but I definitely love the art of being able to tell stories. And I think that one thing that's fascinating about spoken word and poets is that, that words can be powerful and exist in and of themselves in a way that evokes emotion and meaning and does something for people that enjoy that type of art in the same way that music does something for, um, for others. And they're not mutually exclusive. I just think it's interesting that they can both work so powerfully uh, together and uh, separate from one another. Talk about doing a performance. Like, What is it like when it's only you on stage? How difficult is that? It has gotten easier for me to perform when it's just me on stage, but I don't know when people get over entirely over stage fright. I think that there's something to that nervousness that is probably good, like an adrenaline builder. You get excited, you get ready, you get ramped up, you're ready to go. Uh, but for a long time, it was felt stifling, like I couldn't even enjoy an event until after the performance was over because then I knew that I didn't have anything that I was afraid of that I had to look forward to. And so there's, I think that there's even a degree of that that lingers. Um, you know, and for spoken word stuff, it's like, what do you hide behind? If you mess up a line, you know, I remember a show I did and it was actually kind of cool because I just completely forgot what the thing was that I was performing. I, I had no idea what the next line was. And... <laughs> And, um, you know, and some people that came to the show did, so they got me back on track and then we were able to go through the rest of it. But it's funny, you know, I mean, I think that over the years I've gotten a little bit better at maybe incorporating some humor into everything was so intense and so heavy that a lot of times I would try to make jokes and people wouldn't know what to do with it. They'd be like, ah, should I be laughing here? Oh, this guy is just super serious whatever. And so I think in times like that where I mess up or if something, something weird happens, kind of able to laugh it off and brush it off. 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. I get, <laughs> I get nervous about doing that because what do you have to fall back on? You just you have to giggle it away and <laughs> hope that you can get people back into the mood or what? I don't know what you're supposed to do, but luckily uh, it doesn't happen a huge amount. We're going to go back to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier. You were talking about the transparency, how you can be transparent on stage. You also share so much of your own personal life. Yeah. I want you to talk about a song that you did a few years ago from To Speak of Wolves. Yep. Yeah, I do share a lot about my personal life. And I guess that's what I meant about transparency, too. I think that I wanted this project to be something that people could look at and say, wow, that's, that's real. That's real life. That's something that he's really going through. And that's something that is hard. And, and I can even relate to that. Or maybe I can't, but maybe I respect it or whatever. And I understand that once you start, you know, calling things real or whatever, that is a number one no-no for, you know, detracting from your actual authenticity or whatever. But I wanted it to be something that I felt free to write about, um, basically an autobiography, right? So with the To Speak of Wolves track, Rearview Memories, my sister and I and a friend of ours and the band, the vocalist for the band To Speak of Wolves, we collaborated on that track and it was about my, my dad who, who had committed suicide the year prior to, to us writing and releasing that. Uh, and it was hard. I mean, I had written some about it already in a record called Seasons. There were tracks that alluded to suffering in my family and the record prior to Seasons called Monologues, even back in 2012. Uh, I guess, sorry, that would have been 2010, because my dad did commit suicide in, in 2011. And then the, the Rearview Memories track with To Speak of Wolves came out shortly thereafter. And it was just something that our friend asked us if we would want to write about. We were kind of unsure of it, talked through it together, talked through it with my mom, it ended up being something that to write love on her arms, which is the, um, you know, the, the suicide and, and self-harm and depression, mm-hmm. like awareness and, and recovery nonprofit ended up picking up and covering. And it was just, it ended up being this thing that, although very painful, I perceived as something that, that was being redeemed in, in our opportunity to be able to talk about that pain and to be able to talk about that loss on a fairly large platform where it would hopefully be helpful and beneficial to other people who had struggled with the same thing as well. So when I'm talking about transparency and authenticity on all of that stuff, you know, I, I don't ever want to go in the direction of making something as painful and personal as that, something that's like commercialized, like let's commodify it. But if we have an opportunity to be able to be helpful to other people that are struggling with the same type of thing or have gone through the same type of loss, it's a great opportunity to be able to um, to relate, whether from near or far. I mean, there's all kinds of people that have written my sister and I and the band since we did that track saying thank you so much that I don't know if we'll ever meet in real life. And I, I probably never expected for any of that to happen, but by the grace of God, it was something that was that was helpful for them. And I'm thankful for that, even though it was painful for us. But don't you find that society in general just doesn't want to discuss anything to do with mental health issues? Yeah, you know, that's a question I've been asked a decent amount since that happened. Uh, and it is interesting. I, I, I will say that when people do discuss it, I take notice of it. 
And that's partially because I have gone through what I've gone through. Uh, and it's partially because I think you're right in that I don't see it very much. Um, it's something that stands out. So I think that I could probably speak into my cultural context a little bit more, which is like, um, you know, a Western evangelicalism that, that sees a lot of subjects as taboo. And I think that for a long time, mental health was one of them. Uh, I think that in some cases, it is still one of them. I'm really thankful when people do open up to talk more about it. And I hope that that's something that continues because I do think it's a very important conversation that I don't I have no idea why why we would want to lock it in a closet, why we would want to to shy away from it, especially when it is something that so many people can relate to. And that's okay. I mean, we like I think that walking through conversations like that in community with one another. Uh, is a far better alternative to ignoring it and letting people feel like they're alone in the midst of, of their suffering. Um, and our writing of that track and working on it with To Write Love on Our Arms was you know, one of the main reasons we decided to do that is because we didn't want to, if we had an opportunity to be helpful, to speak into that conversation, then we wanted to. It's unfortunate, but I find so much of the church just tends to really shy away from it, too. Tend to be almost more closed door to the problems of mental health issues than almost anywhere else. Yeah. I heard a lot of interesting things during the time that my dad was going through what he was going through. Everything from, oh, we totally understand. We've gone through a similar thing. Yes, mental health is real. Which sounds so so silly. I mean, it coming out of my mouth just now makes me think, of course, it's like a real conversation. But some people we would talk to would say, you know, especially within a Christian or faith-based community would say, you know, no, depression is solely a demonic thing. There's something, you know, like it's a spiritual thing. It's a supernatural thing. And that, sure, sometimes, or, or it's both and, but I, I personally watching my dad go through the stuff that he went through, um, I'm not going to say that there should never be a need for medication, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm not going to say this can always and forever be prayed away. I I think that it could be. I think I believe in a God that could do anything that he that he wants to do and and I think that uh you know for a long time I believed that my dad was going to be healed and that um that didn't end up being the case on on this side of eternity. I still think that that promise came true. All I'm saying is that, yes, I would love it if it was a little bit more uh, of an open conversation. And, I, you know, it's interesting. My mom, she, she moved out to California after my dad passed away and lived a few hours north of, uh, of Saddleback and Rick Warren's church um, down in Orange, Orange County. I don't know exactly where he is, but... His son committed suicide in the last couple of years, and, and I know that they started up a lot of stuff to to begin like speaking into that issue and talking about it, and it's terrible, and it's devastating, and it doesn't matter whether anyone's a fan of Rick Warren or not, because his name is Rick Warren. It just I, I was thankful, although heartbroken, for the fact that it was something that they decided that they were going to dedicate more time to speaking into, and I, I would love it if more of us could do that without having to have lost someone first. You know, I, yeah. I would love it if, if that was something that could happen. Well, how about we switch on to a little bit lighter topic? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. You've got a new release, Correspondence of Fiction. Yeah. It's a change from your past releases. I mean, there's almost no shouting. 
<laughs> yes. You're not getting older and mellower, are you? <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I still really feel like shouting, but with correspondence, I wanted to treat it more as though it were a book that I was reading and could tell a kid at story time or tell an adult at a show uh, within the context of this fictitious world that I tried to create. So it's different in a lot of ways. It's different stylistically because I don't yell as much. And that felt good, honestly. Uh, and it's different because it's not another autobiographical album. It's a fiction story that um, I was inspired to write. And it was a lot of fun. Probably the most fun I've ever had writing anything. Because that was the thing I was curious about. I was trying to figure out, okay, is this a themed album or are you just trying to present an ongoing story? I think a little bit of both. Uh, I had an idea, man, probably two summers ago that it would be neat to to write a fiction album about a boy and a girl that are in love and in some sort of 1700s nautical world, the girl is at sea and the boy is building a treehouse for her. And they're writing letters back and forth, hence the correspondence title, and sending them through bottles on the sea. And I just wanted to write this sort of mythological children's narrative, but something that encompassed themes that probably are far beyond the age of the children in the actual story. Uh, I think that I am in the story. I think that there are some things that I brought in from real life, but for the most part, I just wanted to explore what it would be like to write fiction inspired by guys like Tolkien and Lewis. And, um, you know, I remember a Timothy Keller sermon that, well, it wasn't even a sermon, it was a lecture. And he was talking about how Tolkien set out to just write this story, uh, you know, as a believer, but not, not necessarily a, a quote unquote Christian story, just something that would be creationally good for everyone to be able to enjoy. And that if, uh, you know, if Christ had changed him, then Christ would be seen through the story, but he didn't have to, to necessarily force it. Um, and I, I liked that idea. I liked the idea of doing something like that. I've definitely written things that have been specifically Christian, probably specifically for Christian audiences. And I liked the idea of being able to do something that was, I don't know, a, a little bit more widely accessible and palatable to just people that enjoyed story. So hopefully correspondence is that. But that was the goal. What I was really wondering about with correspondence, if you were just happening to be listening to the police when you wrote it. <laughs> I mean, you know, message in a bottle. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I, the thought definitely crossed my mind. I, I thought it was, honestly, I, I wasn't sure about the message in a bottle thing. I thought maybe it was a little bit too cliche, but I didn't really have anything else to go with. And I just decided to treat it with confidence and go for it. So I did. And it doesn't end on a happy note. Yeah, it's still a Levi the Poet album, you know. <laughs> I It ends on a hard note that is kind of difficult to swallow and still makes me feel like I can long beyond that note towards the redemption that the final chapter concludes with. So that was the hope, I guess. If there is a happy note, it's it's the hope that the album points to. It's an interesting album, too, Correspondence, because it's got that musical background that you've added with Glowhouse. Yeah. yeah and Glowhouse. I adore Glowhouse, too. So this works. Yeah, he's great, man. That That's my roommate that I'm talking about, actually. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he, he just recently moved in. Um, he's been here for a couple of months now, so it's cool having him around. Uh, I've known him for a really long time, and I think that he's 
amazing at what he does. The music for Correspondence is just some of the prettiest music that I have heard in a really long time. And I, I know it's my record, but it's not my music. So I feel like I can say that without it being uh, too self-aggrandizing or whatever. It was such a, a new experience, I think, for the both of us to write a Levi the Poet album that had music all the way throughout. Because he helped write stuff for seasons, too. Him and my wife did. Um, but Correspondence was just a whole different monster. And I came to him with all the lyrics, and I said, write what these words make you feel like. And that was about the, all of the direction that I gave him. And the music for Correspondence is what came out, and I, I love it. Maybe the two of you just needed to be that close as friends <laughs> yes. just to make it mesh. Yeah, yeah. Well, we definitely have been friends for a really long time. We have a great friendship, and I'm thankful for that. How do people find your music online? Uh, LeviThePoet.net is the probably the easiest way. Everything is just Levi the Poet across the board. Twitter and iTunes and Facebook and website and Bandcamp and you know, anything and everything that, that you can find that way. So that's the easiest. Well, here's a personal question for you, Levi. Yes, sir. Even though we've been personal all the way through this. <laughs> yeah. But are you going to be one of those guys who when you turn 50, everyone's going to hate you because you still look like you're 25? <laughs> Oh man, maybe I'm 25 right now, and I still can't grow a, a proper beard or or uh, or fill in my cheeks with the right amount of facial hair to to make it worthwhile. So, we'll see. We will see. I've got I've got a baby face if anybody does. So I don't know. My dad had such a solid beard. That's all I want. You know, I just what the heck, Dad? I just want your beard, but I can't make it happen. It's probably for the better. My wife doesn't like it anyway, so it's all right. <laughs> Keep her happy. You always got to keep your wife happy. That's true. In this case, though, it's God keeping her happy by not giving me my facial hair. <laughs> because if I had it, I would grow it out anyway. <laughs> I just, uh, I'd probably have to go on a tour by myself or something to make it happen. But uh, we'll see. The Antidote's been here with Levi the Poet. Levi, thanks a lot for coming on The Antidote. Man, I've really appreciated your you know, straightforward conversation. Yeah, Dave, thanks for taking the time to, to have me on. It means a lot, sincerely. Hopefully I can make it up to Ontario sometime soon. That'd be a great one.